This is Malcolm Keating, and you're listening to Sutras and Stuff. So I have a confession to make. Sometimes I binge-watch Netflix. A few days ago, I re-watched just about the entire first season of the American sitcom Community. And last week, I blazed through most of Mindy Kaling's new series, Never Have I Ever. Partway through both watching sessions, the show stopped, and Netflix popped up with a message that I could only take to be condescending. Are you still watching? Was the message that I had other things to do? That if I didn't get up and move, I was in danger of forming a blood clot? Or was it that I was consuming art, like chowing down an entire bag of chips or guzzling a bottle of wine in too large a portion and without the right kind of attitude? Well, whether Netflix has views about my consumption or not, the late 10th to early 11th century Sanskrit philosopher Abhinava Gupta certainly had views about how people relate to art. He distinguished between the gourmet and the glutton, and that's what we're going to look at today. Abhinava Gupta lived in what is today northern India, Kashmir, and he was a roundly educated thinker who was familiar with everything from philosophy and religion to the greatest of Sanskrit literary works. He's a tremendous figure in late classical Indian thought, and one of his students described him as an incarnation of the god Shiva, in verses which emphasize not just Abhinavagupta's philosophical profundity, but his aesthetic sensibilities, that is, his attention to what is beautiful and pleasing. In these verses, Abhinavagupta sits in a crystal hall, in a garden full of grapes. There are sweet-smelling flowers and incense permeating the room. There's music, there's dancing. Magical, spiritual beings are crowded around him. Abhinavagupta himself has his long hair tied up with a flower garland, and he's wearing a golden earring sitting on a golden throne, and is playing a lute with one hand while making a a gesture, a spiritual gesture, a mudra in the other. This guy is a spiritual leader, but also a philosopher and artistically sensitive. So what kinds of things would this Abhinavagupta fellow watch? Would he hang out and watch U.S. sitcoms with me? Well, by the time he's writing, there's a long tradition of putting on elaborate, days-long plays as part of religious festivals, and of reciting long, epic poetry in court settings. Take, for instance, the poet Valmiki's Ramayana, an epic story about the god Prince Rama and his wife Sita. Roughly 2,000 years since the original version, there's a modern version, well, at least from the 1980s, which is coming back on Indian television as I record this podcast. In this epic, Rama's wife, Sita, is abducted by a demonic creature, Ravana, and there's plenty of action sequences. But the heart of the story, according to the poet himself, it's not these heroic plot lines. Towards the beginning of the story, Valmiki, who writes himself into the epic, he's the poet, he goes down to a river to do his morning prayers. As he does, he's watching two beautiful sandpipers, a male and a female, a couple, and they're frolicking by the holy river. Then suddenly, the male bird is shot dead by a hunter. Volmiki hears the female bird crying out in anguish, and instinctively he curses the hunter in a beautiful metric form. Valmiki reflects on what he's just uttered, and he calls it a shloka. He calls it this because it came out of grief, which is, in Sanskrit, Shoka. 
Well, the next thing you know, the god Brahma comes down. He listens to the shloka, and he's pretty impressed. He asks Valmiki to narrate the story of Rama and Sita using that particular meter, the newly invented shloka. So the Ramayana is a story which comes out initially of a poignant emotion, which turns into an intense aesthetic experience. And this is what Abhinavagupta focuses on, not the story's narrative twists and turns. So to put a fine point on it, good art evokes an aesthetic experience. So here's a question, would Abhinavagupta be content to put down his lute for a little while, leave the yoginis and magical beings behind, and watch hours of sitcoms with me in search of an aesthetic experience? Or would he prefer watching the entire 78 episodes of the epic Ramayana TV series? Now, I can't speak for Abhinavagupta, but I can let him speak for himself. He says in one text, in talking about aesthetic pleasures and spiritual enjoyment, when a gourmet drinks a delicious beverage, he behaves very differently from a glutton, and he distinguishes carefully, thinking, ah, this one thing is like that other thing. Abhinavagupta goes on to say that enjoying art like a play or a poem is like tasting a delicious beverage, except that we experience pleasure without having as much connection with the senses when we're enjoying a play or a poem. So what is this difference between drinking a delicious drink as a gourmet or drinking it as a glutton? Well, here's a fellow named Miles in the film called Sideways. He's teaching his friend to taste wine. Now, at this point, Miles hasn't even tasted the wine. He's just smelling it. Mm, a little citrus. Maybe some strawberry. Mm. Passion fruit. Mm. And, oh, there's just like the faintest sous of like uh, asparagus and there's a just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edom cheese. He's comparing the smells to asparagus, cheese to nuts, and really taking in every quality of the wine. His friend, Jack, in contrast, basically swallows the glass of wine in a single gulp, barely tasting the flavors. He just wants to drink it, and he's not focusing on enjoying its particular aesthetic properties. So this is one difference that Abhinavagupta is envisioning between a gourmet and a glutton. So, how would a gourmet, like Abhinavagupta surely is, enjoy a play? Well, first of all, the experience that a gourmet has is a very special kind of wonder, which Abhinavagupta says goes well beyond just being surprised at something or having a positive experience from a play. This wonder is exceptionally intense. It's joyful. It's satisfying, and maybe most important, it's not about us. In Sideways, we can hear that Miles is getting lost in the smell of the wine. He's not thinking about himself and how much he wants the wine. He's focusing on the wine's properties. When watching a play, Abhinavagupta says, a gourmet is attuned to the aesthetic properties of the play, that is, its artistic qualities. He or she will not be thinking about themselves and how they are like or not like Rama, or what they anticipate will happen next, or their opinions about the quality of the production. Rather, an aesthetic gourmet loses themselves in the play's flavor. So we now have to shift metaphorically to drinking that wine, and not just smelling it, since the word for the aesthetic pleasure the gourmet is experiencing in Sanskrit literally means flavor or sap, a kind of concentrated taste. It's the word rasa. 
This rasa, or aesthetic flavor, and not ordinary emotions, is what a gourmet will experience. But how do they come about with this experience? Well, it's not going to be experienced by just tasting anything,、uh, Doritos or American French fries or something like that.、Uh, probably、uh, my sitcom watching wouldn't lead to this rarefied aesthetic flavor, in Abhinav Gupta's opinion. Because just like when we eat fine food, the preparation has to be just right. All of the appropriate ingredients need to be present in the right proportions and put together in the right way. And so, in the context of a drama or a poem, this means having a skillful approach to wordplay. It means having the right ratios of the funny parts, the sexy parts, the suspenseful parts, and the action parts. Now, I enjoy Community because it's a sitcom about a community college, and it includes highly flawed characters. There are students, professors, and administrators alike who have a lot of flaws. And for me, there's something enjoyable about watching human foibles in a short format, where things never turn out too badly and everything's resolved in a 20-minute narrative arc. Abhinav Gupta, though, thinks art should also instruct in some manner, but that doesn't mean a play should be moralistic. Neither the Ramayana or the Mahabharata, two of the great epics of Sanskrit literature, are straightforwardly stories of simple good versus evil, because there are complicated people here with complicated histories. And Abhinav Gupta also recognizes that art is pleasurable, even short of the intense aesthetic pleasure and wonder that this aesthetic gourmet would strive for. So he says that. Art removes pain that people have when they're sick. It removes the discomfort they have when they're tired after a long journey. It alleviates their suffering because they know that their friends or their family have died. Also, in terms of art, he says, as much as you might enjoy reading philosophy or religious literature, which is instructive, so things like the Bible or the Vedas, these don't count as art for Abhinav Gupta since they don't aim at pleasure. So maybe given all this, Abhinav Gupta would be okay with relieving the stress of daily life with a little bit of binge watching. Well, he does say that drama has three purposes: so grieving people have their pains eased, people have pleasure from watching, and then people get a higher kind of happiness which arises later after watching, and that's because drama and art gives them a kind of wisdom. So certainly, watching four hours of Netflix would distract somebody who's in deep grief, and it might give them some pleasure at the same time. However, it's this last part—the happiness from wisdom—that binge watching might lack, because the very idea of binge watching seems to mean we stuff ourselves with hour on hour of distraction. Maybe because we're so caught up in the show, but maybe also because we're stuck at the level of ordinary emotions. And Abhinav Gupta thinks that art for the aesthetic gourmet, that is, for the person who can discern rasa and subtle aesthetic flavors, it's a way of going above ordinary personal emotions, which are fixated on particular people and particular plots, to something beyond ourselves, to something divine, to something transcendental. I don't know if that's something that television can do as a genre. Maybe it is. One of my favorite characters on Community is named Abed, and his way of dealing with the world is to relate everything to television and movies. In the final episode of the sitcom, he describes TV this way.
There is skill to it. More importantly, it has to be joyful, effortless, fun. TV defeats its own purpose when it's pushing an agenda or trying to defeat other TV or being proud or ashamed of itself for existing. It's TV. It's comfort. It's a friend you've known so well and for so long. You just let it be with you. And it needs to be okay for it to have a bad day or phone in a day. And it needs to be okay for it to get on a boat with LeVar Burton and never come back. Because eventually, it all will. Now, what he says echoes a lot of Abhinavagupta's concerns with poetry and drama. He says there should be an effortless joy and comfort in our engagement with it. But does it bring us beyond our physical selves into connection with the divine? Abed from Community is silent on that point. Now, as for Abhinavagupta, certainly that connection requires something both in the viewer and in the thing that they're viewing. Binge-watching, just because of the length we're binge-watching, isn't an issue just because of the length of time we're watching something. It's in how we watch. Soothing ourselves is one of the goals of art, according to Abhinavagupta, but it's just one of them. And if binge-watching means only passive viewing for distraction, I imagine he might think we're selling ourselves a little bit short. Bye. Uh-huh.